Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted that we're joined today by Susie Miller. Susie has written a very important, in my opinion, book, which is Designing Accessible Learning Content, because learning and online learning is ubiquitous, and yet it is an often forgotten part of the accessibility universe, because everybody working uh, in large and small organizations needs to learn new stuff and we need to make sure that that learning content as is accessible and yet it's often been the sort of last bastion of inaccessible content so Susie it's great to have you with us today um, can you give us a little bit about your background and how you came to to write this book Okay, uh, first of all, thanks ever so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate having uh, having the platform and the opportunity to um, speak about uh, learning accessibility because I couldn't agree more that it is um, one of the areas that I think, uh, you know, is often forgotten from from accessibility, the community. So thank you, as I say, for, for allowing me to come and talk about e-learning accessibility. Um, so my background really is um, I've been in, in learning for about, probably 30, 35 years. Uh, I started off as um, a, an English uh, an English teacher and then moved into um, software training to, in the, um, the public sector working in local authority for many years. And from there, I moved really like many people into um, instructional design and um, online learning. And um, that then took me to um, working in the university in, in, um, in the UK for, for a few years. And it was there really that um, while I was at, uh, in the local authority, I was really interested in accessibility and in um, assistive technology. I was lucky enough to work with someone who um, was a screen reader user, which got me really interested in you know, making sure I was designing things that were accessible. But then moving into um, the university, uh, I was lucky enough to work with a few people who were, were specialists in, in accessibility. And that really, I think for me, uh, really focused me on just how difficult it was to find out about anything to do with accessibility when it came to e-learning. So we kind of finding out more about the um, the web content accessibility guidelines and um, like so many people trying to fathom out what they meant and specifically for our you know for our our, our, our work work working with learning and development trying to apply them to to actually what we were doing was was I found it very very difficult so in the end I just um I just realized that if I wanted to specialize in accessibility and um and in e-learning really I'd have to just go it alone so I uh, started my own company and and that's when I also wrote the book um, to help other people who so that they didn't have to go through quite the same <laughs> struggle as as many people were already doing trying to you know make their their learning content accessible so that yeah that's me really so, thank you so i think it's a bit of a common theme amongst people of our um generation in working in the accessibility field that we've we've all kind of gone it alone and found our way uh -huh. um, as a second or, or third or fourth career um, and that it has been a case of trying to discover how to do this stuff for ourselves and, and, and I'm really passionate that we start to put some kind of decent framework around um, teaching people how to be accessible and also teaching accessibility because those are two slightly different things yeah, um, yeah. and and hopefully that we will have a, a, a generations and to come where this will 
be second nature to them rather than something that they need to dig into and think about and realize that's missing so uh, what are some of the challenges that you've you've if we go back to um sort of e-learning systems and 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 there are many, but there are probably a handful that are, are really sort of commonly used. What are some of the challenges that, that you find with, with e-learning and, and the creation of accessible content? So I think from the point of view of, of the tools, um, I think that that's a starting point, really. I think um, I think the accessibility and the understanding about accessibility with tools um, in, you know, the e-learning authoring tools has developed a lot over the last couple of years. So it is it is getting better and you do see that. You see more commitment to trying to make things accessible. And one of the things that I do in, in a lot of the, uh, you know, the webinars and, and you know, any kind of conferences that I speak at is is try really to sort of bring out the good things that are happening in accessibility tools because it is very easy uh, for us as learning developers and designers just to be saying well we can't do it because the tool isn't letting us and so one of the things I try and do for example at the TechShare Pro um, session that we did um, I had some I had the um, three or four different um, authoring tool providers one of the things we did was really pull out the, the positive things so things like you know some tools do have an accessibility checker you know it's great a, a really fundamental starting point really is to actually have knowledge of, of the accessibility of the tool so to have either a conformance statement or or a vpat before you start so you know you know the, you're not it trying to yourself work out what the limitations of the tool are if you have that you know, a, a conformance statement up front, then that's a really positive thing. You see really great things such as um, people who, um, authoring tools who are putting accessibility in the workflow. So in the instructions as you're, you're designing, they will say, for example, if you're, if you're, if you auto start a video, they will say, this is, you know, this isn't a good thing to do for accessibility. So it's not, you know, that, that those are really some of the positive brilliant positive things that you see and that's the type of thing is that I try and kind of bring out the good things as well I think the frustrations are still you know as with any tool you know where you've got the um the attack guide you know that those guidelines for authoring tools and the you know I it doesn't seem that that many tools are 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 aware of them you know trying to make them make that accessibility built into the workflow making it as easy as possible for you know also you know not only for the output but also for developers themselves the tool themselves to be accessible so I think yeah I think I've seen a lot of progress with with authoring tools and I think that they really you know the, the main you know market leaders really are realizing that it is fundamental it's not it's no longer a nice to have they have to have that as part of the tool maybe you know sometimes with with, with newer tools you know sometimes you go to the conferences like learning learning technologies is a big conference and you have quite a lot of new tools coming up and you talk to them about accessibility and it's clearly something that they hadn't really considered and when you think actually it could be such a you know for them for a new authoring tool such a unique uh, you know, unfortunately, is still a, almost a unique selling point. You know, it is something that can you know you can really shout about if you if you make your tool accessible. It's almost you know it's it's still I think fe- feeling a bit like it's shoehorned in afterwards. So a lot of the the tools that have been around for a while, I think that's the that's probably how it feels. It feels like with some of them that that I'm familiar with using, it does feel a bit like an add on. You know that it's it's that kind of oh we've forgotten about it so let's just sort of put it in at the end and then it doesn't it isn't part of the workflow and it is extra work for people which I think can be quite off-putting. 
So sorry, that was <laughs> no, so I, no, uh, for for someone that is listening to us and you know and realize, oh, how can I make my content uh, accessible? Yeah. I think you no, know, having all these tools and you know, we're, we're, I think it's a difficult uh, question: is where do I start? So, Susie, where do I start? Okay, so I think one of the things we mean, and a, a little bit Neil, like like you were saying about you know how we're actually training accessibility. I think if you it's almost, okay, yes, it's great, fantastic if you've got someone who actually wants to make something accessible. But really, for me, there's still a, a huge piece of work to actually do that, the kind of advocacy as, as, as why, why are we doing this? Why is it important? And I think in the training and um, that, that that I deliver, one of the, as part of the kind of understanding, a part of, part of you know, making it really come to life for people is doing that advocacy, doing the why is this important? And then I think that, that's the first piece of the, of the puzzle. For me, the second piece of the puzzle to understand how to make something accessible or why you're doing it is, is to understand a little bit more about assistive technology because so many of the web content accessibility guidelines are there to help us make, um, you know, specifically to help people who are using assistive technology. If you don't understand very much about screen readers or screen magnifiers, or then it's very difficult to understand. You know, you, you can follow the guidelines, but if you understand why you're doing it, for me, that that is is a really important missing piece of the puzzle. And then to try and make it, uh, uh, the next thing I think is to, is to address is to try and break it down. So when you look at the web content accessibility guidelines, or, or you look at the book that, you know, the, the web content accessibility guidelines divided into our poor principles, literally is, you know, just a great long list of you know 50 if it's um, a double a or 78 guidelines that you're trying to um you know trying to implement so it, for me it's 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 trying to break it down really and make it um you know make it more accessible for everybody so um it's it, it, one of the things that i start off with with training is just breaking it down into your four different access needs so just you know it's very you know oversimplified in a way but just breaking it down to um, vision hearing um, cognitive and motor is is at least a good starting point where people can then begin to understand okay so if if I want to make something accessible don't just focus on everything I need to do for a screen reader user which is very very common that's what when people think about accessibility that is one of the kind of myths that we often have is it's 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 only for people who've got um, vision access needs so it's kind of breaking that down and realizing actually there are some quite straightforward things that we can do that actually can um, you know means that it can be accessible for a, for a wide range of people so I think that's that's the starting point for me. Oh, so I'm really glad that you, you mentioned that it's not just about making it compatible with screen readers, although that is one of the most obvious and significant challenges that we face with learning content is that Definitely. a lot of it just doesn't work with assistive tech out of yeah. the box. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested in, uh, you know, how do we make cognitively accessible training and particularly yeah. um, assessment processes okay. that work for people with cognitive accessibility needs because essentially the testing process yep. is quite often deliberately cognitively uh, okay. inaccessible and ambiguous yeah, so yeah. for example with multiple choice questions yeah the, the, they write questions in such a way as to be deliberately ambiguous which is okay. which is actually really really difficult for someone like me who I will see. sit there pondering about the meaning of the the different statements in the questions when if you 
assessed it in a different way, I clearly yeah. have absorbed the knowledge. So how how do we cater for some of that stuff in learning design? Okay, so I think the um, and I and I think again when it, obviously the the web content accessibility guidelines are very often criticised for not not going into into you know looking at the cognitive access needs in in enough depth and I think they have you know maybe with the, with the next version they they have addressed that but there is still enough I find in the web content accessibility guidelines which mean that people can you know, be thinking about things and doing things in slightly different ways. So again, um, coming back to um, the training that we do, our, um, one of the things that we do is we have um, a case study, which is which comes from the book. And that is somebody who has, um, so his history when he was at school, he had um, a learning disability and he also has um, chronic pain um, uh, issues as well. So, and he's a learning designer and developer. And so, the, having his case study and giving the first-hand experience of how exactly the type of things that that, that he struggles with. So, for he he particularly pulls out the fact that he. The, the frustration that a lot of people feel with the type of things like you were saying, you know, um, multiple choice for, for him, that that has a, a very profound effect because it triggers a lot of the negative, um, you know, negative experiences that he had at school around learning. It also then kind of triggers that he he it immediately makes him more stressed. It makes him, he realizes that he, you know, the things like adding timing, quite often we think about the timing that we add, that we put onto assessments being that we shouldn't be doing that or we should give um, learners control because people have got a motor um, access needs. But equally for people with with cognitive access needs and equally, you know, just sometimes saying, well, this this learning will take you, even if it's not like a time test, but, you know, it's saying this, we, this learning will take you an hour. He says as soon as he sees that, that makes him really stressed and anxious because he knows it's going to take him longer than that to actually, um, you know, to do the, the training. So it immediately triggers all of, all of the kind of as I say the neg negative emotions that he used to have so he also um, will he picks up things like um, having um, shuffling questions so if he has to do a compliance test and then he has a long a bank of questions and he then gets some wrong he has no feedback on the answer then he has to do them again and they're all shuffled in a different order and sometimes he'll he'll have a question and then the, and then the answers are shuffled for him, you know, that that has such huge and profound effects on, on how he is able to learn. And also, it really brings out, you know, that as learning designers and developers, we really have a kind of responsibility to be uh, to um, to be empathetic and to be respectful of the way that people are learning, not not just assuming that you know this is the way that we've always done. we've always had a bank of questions, fifty questions. We're going to shuffle them at the end and give you, you know. Um, you know, 25 minutes to do it. But there is that um, always that we do have the, the the issue that we have. Sometimes we have compliance testing and that does sometimes that, you know, that sometimes comes with the, the, the things that, that we need to do. But certainly we can we can do things like we can, you know, we can make sure that our language, we, we use plain language and, and make it as straightforward as possible. So it's there, there, there's a kind of a, there's always a balance, I think, between understanding that, you know, the real life situation of people who maybe are are involved in compliance testing and have these requirements that they that they need to maybe legally you know have one then but then the 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 the, the reason for doing the case study and getting people to to think about it and talk about it is just to to show people that there is 
a different way. And, and, and for me, I remember reading that case study. Well, actually, I spoke to um, to Luke, who, who, who wrote it for the book. And I remember the hairs on the back of my neck standing up because I was thinking, I've done everything that he's talking about, you know, that in my, you know, which we all have. And I had never even considered that that would be an issue for someone. I, I, I'd just gone away because that was the way that we'd always done it. So it's it's kind of, I think, opening up people's you know perceptions and and maybe thinking well just because we've always done this is 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 it do we really need to do it like this or can we think of a of a different approach so so i think obviously there's a need for compliance on, on lots of things um, I agree. and yet uh, factoring the testing as a way of sort of catching people out rather than testing their knowledge i think is disabling yeah. Um, I've certainly felt it um, in in sort of mandatory testing that, that we've had to do within our own organisation. Uh-huh. Um, and, and this is not me having a crack at my employers. This is, it, it's the way that these things are designed systemically. So it's not, yeah. it's not something that um, they've decided to victimise me, but as, as a user of these products or yeah. um you know i i find the that the, they're almost designed to trip you up exactly and, yeah. and, whereas they should be designed to discover whether or not you have the knowledge and there's a difference yeah, yeah um, so i think that 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 changing in mindset of, of how you create the assessment process uh-huh. is, is, is really important because if yes we probably nailed how we or at least nailed the knowledge of how we can make stuff interoperable with assistive tech. Yeah. I don't think we've fully nailed how we can make um, good assessment processes for uh, people with uh, cognitive accessibility needs to the same extent. I agree. So when you say you, we've nailed it, who who would you say is we? Is that is that your organisation or is that no, the... No, I think in, 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 general, you in know, general, in terms of the web content accessibility okay. guidelines, yeah, yeah. the accessibility industry, we know how to make stuff interoperable with assistive tech. Yeah, I yeah. don't think we know as well how to uh, create um, assessments that are... Um, fully accessible for people with a wide variety of cognitive accessibility needs. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I think sometimes it is just um, that idea maybe of, you know, it is the idea of, of, of accessibility accessibility being a, a journey rather than a destination and, and just learning as we're going along. So sometimes maybe the, the idea of giving people different, maybe different ways of, of testing it, I think, you know, that that opportunities for different options is is something that you see much more in higher education rather than in in a lot of you know although the the same tools that we're using for for creating learning content are used across the board a lot of what we you know the assessment type things we're doing um that we're talking about are very much workplace learning and they tend to be very much that the compliance side of of, of so with so many uh, uh tools in, in, in the market and old and, and new and newcomers. We also see that there's been a, a grow in terms of automation and artificial intelligence embedded in some of these tools. Yeah. How do, what role do you see that um, AI and automation can have in helping uh, designers to make content more accessible or even to check if the content is accessible or help them in the process of writing content that allows them to 
make sure that the language is accessible? What do you see the, the role of these technologies in, in learning? So I think, you know, I think there is huge potential there. I think that's that that for me, that is one of the the frustrating things that, that I, I think about our, our industry is that, you know, there is you know, we're still having conversations now you know, routinely having conversations about, um, you know, you know e-learning and people will be talking about how to make drag and drop accessible. And, you know, when you see the advances in technology that are going across the industry, it's incredibly, I find it, you know, and they're talking about not being able to make, um, you know, things accessible, you know, the tools accessible. You think, well, that technology is out there. You know, it's just, this is the frustrating thing about about this particular industry. It's, it's, it is, is that's why it's so important that learning and technology, learning technology is part of the, um, the, the accessibility. So I don't have any, you know, I'm not an expert really on on the technology i see it's a it's a you know huge potential but it's really how do we harness you know the, what's going on in other and make you know the and other amazing things that are going on on in other industries and harnessing them and making sure that that actually is is brought into into learning and development we're not still having conversations about the fact that you can't make a drag and drop um, activity accessible or, or what we should be doing about it you know when you see the, the the most incredible technology going on you think well why aren't the why aren't you know why aren't the the people who are who are who are doing you know coming up with this amazing technology realizing how important it is to get people in the, in in the learning the l and d um, industry and the learning tech industry on board you know right from the very beginning rather than you know let, let's put it as a let's let's forget about it and then shoehorn it in, in at the end so yeah so yeah I'm, as I said I'm not 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 a real expert on the, on the technology side of things but I, I think certainly there's there's huge potential there so yeah so so I think that you know we've frequently seen the accessibility dongle you, know, you plug it in at the end <laughs> and it's a sort of bolt-on thing and we don't we don't really don't need to be doing that as we you know we renew these tools and re redesign them accept that like with all technology you know there's established stuff out there we can't just throw away our legacy tech or our, uh -huh. our legacy um you know, learning materials either because uh -huh. uh, it takes time to create this stuff so we will be on a journey of of iterative improvements for quite some time to come yeah yeah but i do think that there's, there's also a tension not just between the sort of the the knowledge of how to implement stuff but but even the tension between pedagogy and 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 accessibility because we had we had a one learning provider that was insistent on on drag and drop implementation in a particular way where we'd shown uh -huh. them an accessible way of doing it and they go oh we can't do it that way because it's not real uh, and they're thinking well hold on a sec this this is now becoming you know, sort of very much a, a sort of closed mindset. And, and so yeah. how do we, I mean, are, are, are you finding that, that that people are open to finding new ways of doing things? Or do you think it's still a case of winning hearts and minds to sort of convert people to, to being accepting of changing the way they need to do stuff? So I think the I think the winning hearts and mind is still is still a piece of the you know in our industry it's still a really important piece of the of, of the jigsaw that's missing. So it's the kind of like as I say a lot of the, of the you know the, the talks that that I do are about you know the the myth busting and it's that it, it is I find it you know really when when you in comparison to the the, the what you see going on in the general accessibility community I, it is kind of disheartening to to feel that we are you know especially 
maybe two or three years ago, really, you know, you know, the, the, the attitudes and the opinions to making things accessible were, were just really, I, I felt they were, you know, a long way behind, you know, other industries. So I think that is, uh, you know, there is still the, there's still that, 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 that kind of missing piece that needs to be done it is that advocacy it is that um this is but then also it's like obviously from a business point of view this is this is great for your business it still is that um you know i still have conversations with clients where they say well we've got uh, we've got our supply and we know that they're accessible so that's fine and then uh, i'm like okay well that's fine if, if that's you know i I, have you done any testing just to make sure? And then it turns out actually that they're at their supply, even though it's you know in the in the in the in the contract it's saying yeah we're we're accessible you know the, the, all the, the the same issues, but they're still um, being supplied with co- content that isn't uh, you know accessible to to WCAG two point one A and AA standards as it has has said. So it's almost like if someone can get it right and someone can show the benefits of getting it right then I think that's that that will kind of trickle down into the industry so I, I I personally think that there are a lot of people like me at grassroots level so I think the advantage that we have as learning designers and developers is that we are generally very passionate about what we do you know we we want to create um, you know effective um, engaging learning experiences so you know for me that why wouldn't we why would we be doing that and wanting why would we think it was it was acceptable to be excluding you know the statistics vary but like 12 to 26 percent of of you know of our audience you know so that from a kind of a grassroots level I think there are more and more people who are beginning to to think you know it's not I need to do this I, I really genuinely think it's that this should be accessible quite often a lot of people find I think then it's the blocker of oh well that's going to cost more money and we don't have the resources to do it in our organization which is part part of the reason that I wanted to write the book because there are a lot of people who are working in you know big organizations they might be working in you know freelancers where they you know they're part of a team and and you've got you know you're the instructional designer you've got someone who does the graphics you've got someone who does the development but there are a lot of just one one man you know in one an organization especially in in public sector so, you know a, a really small team or just one person working on their own and they're without the support so at least you know the, one of the reasons for writing the book was that that everybody at grassroots level it was that kind of idea of democratizing it not not you didn't have to be an accessibility expert so you know you may not want to be following everything every single one of the web content accessibility guidelines you, starting small you can actually just do at least something that helps you yourself to, to make your to, to feel that you are making making your learning content as accessible as you can. But from there, that's I see, as I see at grassroots level, I see a, a really strong, really, you know, and people that I'm training and people that I'm doing webinars for, there's always a lot of, you know, positivity, a lot of passion around it. And, and you know, and, and that really translates into, you know, a, a feeling that there is kind of a movement growing. However, I still think then it's it's that kind of blocker of we need the industry as a whole to be supporting this and organisations um, as well to be, you know, how do you actually um, implement implement it, you know, within a within a, a large organisation. So I think that's that's still really the the kind of stumbling block. So, so I think there's some really significant points that you raised there. So firstly, you know, a lot of learning content is user-generated content. So it's yeah. that um, those tiny teams um, 
or it's it's actually people creating a PowerPoint that then gets thrown into the machine to be spat out <laughs> as as a as a learning module yeah. um, quite often. Um, so it's 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 finding ways to get this embedded into the workflow. And as you mentioned before, ATAG, which is the accessible uh, sorry authoring tools accessibility guidelines, is yeah. much less well known and much less well understood, but but hugely important because uh-huh. it's that bit that gets it into the workflows that nudges people saying, "Hey, have you done this? Hey, you need to do that." You know, yeah. um, that can that can really make a huge difference. Uh-huh. Um, and then I guess the, the the other thing is is actually prioritization because we have this sort of yeah. huge corpus of inaccessible content that's okay. not going to go away anytime soon. So how do we, you know, what are the things that we want to prioritize? I would say, you know, there's there's a few that are obvious. You know, yeah, mandatory training yeah. where someone, you know, you know, is told that if you don't do it, you're going to, you know get marked down on your appraisals for example Uh or even lose your job yeah exactly so you become non-compliant through no fault of your own so so those are the kind of things that organizations need to fix first but but what are the things that follow on from that what what would be the things that you would say then should be okay uh high up on the priority (laughs) list so i don't know whether even before mandatory training whether it's the other thing that's really important i think for uh, for workplace training is is basically onboarding so you uh, for me that's where you know and i i've have i've kind of like heard experiences of people actually again someone at TechShare pro i was i was try, i was trying to get um he was a screen reader user and i was just trying to get some um, you know some more experience you know to to hear what what his experiences had been and he was he was explaining to me that well for his onboarding training for an organization that was you know committed enough to accessibility to send him to the TechShare pro conference and to have lots of other delegates there this organization um, was obviously committed to accessibility but for his onboard training he needed to have his manager sitting next to him reading out his training because it was not accessible and I said oh you know so how long have you been at the organization then thinking oh he's been there for a few years he said this was in March of last year so I think for me the that that is that the disconnect between organizations so we can get accessibility right in you know when it's, it's obviously a lot more um, it's important now people are, are understanding about the you know um, getting people within in the workforce um, with disabilities and making sure that their recruitment um, it, it, their recruitment process is accessible so a really great progress and then for me, the onboarding is when that's where the learning, that's where it falls apart. You've then, you know, how how actually committed are you to accessibility if you've had a fantastic experience and your on and your and your recruitment uh, has been accessible, and then you have your on your onboarding train doesn't have captions on it, or you know you're using a screen reader and you need to have your manager to read read out your your learning for you, or all of the you know so many things that that it could be if it's it's not accessible. So you know that all of those are here in cognitive you know the the motor the access uh, the um uh, uh uh i can't remember which one i've forgotten hearing <laughs> vision vision mm. i've forgotten yeah yeah could be all of those so if you're if your learning isn't accessible for me it's the kind of that the onboarding is the real proof of whether an organization has thought about you know accessibility it's not just kind of oh, and again it's that it's that um journey uh, versus destination you know obviously things will not always go right in the, in the process you, you're not going to have everything right but it's that for me 
that that onboarding is is a huge a hugely important um, part because you know you've got to make someone feel uh, part of the organization that's the whole purpose of, of doing on, onboarding you know is is that you know these are these are our values you know this is what we believe as an organization if you if it's not accessible it just you know there's just a disconnect between actually what you what you're saying is your policy and what actually you know in reality is is what someone is is with with access needs it often has to face so so I think onboarding is really important and then I think all of the kind of the, the development you know if again I suppose it comes back to that empathy and to that um you know showing people respect if you genuinely want to um you know, if you're genuinely genuinely committed to um, progressing your staff and allowing them to achieve their potential, and you then surely you need to make sure that 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 the learning that you provide to allow them to do any kind of you know professional development is accessible as well. Because again, otherwise it's that kind of disconnect between what you say you you actually believe in and and actually the reality of it. So yeah, I think that those probably are the other the two areas for me. No, we have been, you know, uh, Susie Neil, you have been, you have been talking about, you know, uh, about you know, the complaints and about, you know, we have talked about mandatory training. No, uh, training uh, is a unique opportunity because people have to pay attention to what they are doing. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, uh, I feel that sometimes organizations m miss the fact that that needs to be something that people enjoy doing. Uh -huh. And sometimes you might be developing training that, oh, I have to do this again. Uh, and just the fact that you receive that, you, you're already bored of, you know, the, you're already afraid of going there because you are going to remember the experience from last year. Yeah, yeah. That I wasn't agree. great. We've all so, experienced that. So yeah. how can, you know, uh, in this journey to make it accessible, how you make sure that in the end people really enjoy what they are doing when they are doing those models receiving those training and then they, they and then that training actually works because you know you can do something that you are forced to do uh -huh. you do it just to fill in all the boxes but in the end you might not remember of what, what happened in there uh -huh. how, how can we can make sure that is accessible but at the same time it's actually useful and people really learn yeah so i think that's 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 a whole question really for for our industry that we've been we've been um, you know we've been debating for years and years and years so it's like you know sometimes there are sort of like quick fixes let's do a little bit of gamification you know what what's the what's the new what's the new kid on the block at this conference is it going to be gamification is it going to be ar vr you know how are we going to you know is it you know is it micro learning is that going to work i mean i think for me it really the only way that i can answer that is to say um you know how i design and develop learning you know as an instructional designer i think it is Again, for me, and I keep coming back to this empathy and respect, you know, you, you understanding that um, that everybody is time poor, that everybody, you know, that, that nobody really, to be fair, often wants to do especially a piece of compliance learning but it's it's really making it as as relevant for me and again that's that is a, a key theme really in, a, in our industry is making it as relevant as possible to the um, to the experience of the of the person so you know you can see sometimes you can see a piece of training that maybe has been um you know it's been sourced externally and i'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing but if it's if it's if it can be you know if it is um you know made relevant for a particular organization made bespoke so that it becomes really relevant and it is um you know everything is you can see the purpose the what's in it for me i think is the key thing as a as a learning designer and developer if you're kind of missing that 
you know, that's something that I would always try and put into a piece of learning is what I can get from the, the client if I'm working with the client. Like, what is it? Why are they doing this? What what actually, what's the benefit for them? And making sure that's kind of interwoven all, all the way through. I think that makes it, you know, it, it's not always perfect, but at least that that has some, you know, has ha, makes it, um, you know, hopefully a more positive experience. And then there are, you know, there are just things like, trying to make again as an instructional designer trying to make something that that um on the surface might seem well actually I can't really see how to make that engaging and exciting but quite often there is is a way of making it relevant for people and trying to trying to you know make it um uh, make it more engaging really so I and I think that the 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 key thing for me about the accessibility is that that myth that we do still have in the e-learning um industry L&D is that 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 you can either have accessible or you can have interactive you know so it's that we still have that you know the half you know harping back many years to when we had the accessible version which was the pdf version you know you had the the shiny exciting standard version and then you had the pdf accessible version we still uh, you know there's still a feeling there and i think i still get that from a lot of people i'm talking to that if you if you make something accessible you immediately strip out any interactivity any kind of visual um you know anything that would be exciting because they're still kind of in that mindset of well well, accessibility just means that it has to be you know that a screen reader can can work it so I think one of the things is yes there's that whole bigger question of making um workplace learning and all learning making it um engaging and interesting for people and relevant but there's also that that wider question of when you add accessibility just make sure that you know there's no reason why if you're you if you understand how to use the tool and you can th- kind of what well, we were talking um about maybe thinking in a different way why the learning can't be as as interactive and as engaging as as you know like you were saying Neil again coming back to our drag and drops you know we do sometimes put in interactivity for the sake of it you know we're like well, well let's click on this thing and then this thing will happen you know that necess- that isn't not necessarily a good experience for someone who's using assistive technology but equally you know again someone might think well you know I just keep on you know it's like the click next to get to the next slide you were saying Neil to, to for our mm-hmm. you know for our PowerPoint that's then been turned into our well as long as they're clicking then you think well they're you know then they're interacting <laughs> it doesn't it just doesn't work like that so, so it's yeah I think there's lots of different lots of different issues there to uh, to address. Thank you. Uh, we've come to the end of our time. I just need to thank our um, our friends at My Clear Text for keeping us captioned and accessible. Um, and I really look forward to you joining us on Twitter. Thank yeah. you very much, Susie. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. Bye bye.